Section 8 of The Haunted Organist of Hurly Burly and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Haunted Organist of Hurly Burly and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland. THE HUNGRY DEATH CHAPTER TWO All through that summer the rain fell, and, when autumn came to Boffin, there was no harvest either of fuel or of food. The potato seed had been, for the most part, washed out of the earth without putting forth a shoot, while those that remained in the ground were nearly all rotted by a loathsome disease. The smiling little fields that grew the food were turned into blackened pits, giving forth a horrid stench. Winter was beginning again, the year having been but one long winter, with seas too wild to be often braved by even the sturdiest of the fishermen, and the fish seeming to have deserted the island. Accustomed to exist on what would satisfy no other race, and to trust cheerfully to providence to send them that little out of the earth and out of the sea the people bore up cheerfully for a long time living on a mess of indian meal once a day mingled with such edible seaweed as they could gather off the rocks so long as shopkeepers in galway and other towns could afford to give credit to the island the hooker kept bringing such scanty supplies as were now the sole sustenance of the impoverished population but credit began to fail, and the universal distress on the mainland gave back an answering wail to the hunger cry of the boffiners. It is hard for anyone who has never witnessed such a state of things to imagine the condition of ten or twelve hundred living creatures, on a barren island griddled round with angry breakers, the strong arms among them paralyzed, first by the storms that dash their boats to pieces and rend and destroy their fishing gear and the devastation of the earth that makes labor useless, and later by the faintness and sickness which come from hunger long endured, and the cold from which they have no longer a defense. Accustomed as they are to the hardships of recurring years of trial, the boffiners became gradually aware that a visitation was at hand, for which there had seldom been a parallel. Earth and sea alike, barren and pitiless to their needs, whence could deliverance come unless the heavens rained down manna into their mouths alas no miracle was wrought and after a term of brave struggle hope and providence cheerful pushing off the terrible fears for the worst after this laughter music song faded out of the island feet that had danced as long as it was possible now might hardly walk and the weakest among the people began to die Troops of children that a few months ago were rosy and sturdy, sporting on the seashore, now stretched their emaciated limbs by the fireless hearths, and wasted to death before their maddened mother's eyes. The old and ailing vanished like flax before a flame. Digging of graves was soon the chief labor of the island, and a day seemed near at hand when the survivors would no longer have strength to perform even this last service for the dead. Lavelle and his daughter were among the last to suffer from the hard times, and they shared what they had with their poor neighbors. 
But in course of time the father caught the fever which famine had brought in its train, and was quickly swept into his grave, while the girl was left alone in possession of their little property, with her stocking in the thatch and her small flock of beasts in the field. Her first independent act was to dispatch all the money she had left by a trusty hand to Galway to buy meal, in one of those pauses in the bad weather which sometimes allowed a boat to put off from the island. The meal arrived after long, unavoidable delay, and Bridget became a benefactor to numbers of her fellow creatures. Late and early, she trudged from village to village and from house to house, doling out her meal to make it go as far as possible, till her own face grew pale and her steps slow, for she stinted her own food to have the more to give away. Her beasts grew lean and dejected. Why should she feed them at the expense of human life? They were killed, and the meat given to her famishing friends. The little property of the few other well-to-do families in like manner melted away, and it seemed likely that rich and poor would soon all be buried in one grave. In the widow Melier's house the famine had been early at work. Five of Moya's little sisters and brothers had one by one sickened and dropped upon the cabin floor. The two elder boys still walked about, looking like galvanized skeletons, and the mother crept from wall to wall of her house, trying to pretend that she did not suffer, and to cook the mess of rank-looking seaweed, which was all they could procure in the shape of food. Cull risked his life day after day trying to catch fish to relieve their hunger, but scant and few were the mills that all his efforts could procure from the sea. White and gaunt he followed little Moya's steps, as with the spirit of a giant she kept on toiling among the rocks for such weeds or shellfish as could be supposed to be edible. When she fell, Call bore her up, but the once powerful man was not able to carry her now. Her lovely little face was hollow and pinched, the cheekbones cutting through the skin. Her sweet blue eyes were sunken and dim, her pretty mouth purple and strained. Her beauty and his strength were alike gone. Three of the boys died in one night, and it took Call, wasted as he was, two days to dig a grave deep enough to bury them. Before that week was over all the children were dead of starvation, and the mother scarcely alive. One evening Call made his way slowly across the island from the beach, carrying a small bag of meal which he had unexpectedly obtained. Now and again his limbs failed, and he had to lie down and rest upon the ground. But with long perseverance and unconquerable energy he reached the little fishing village at last. As he passed the first house, Bridget Lavelle, pallid and worn, the spectre of herself, came out of the door with an empty basket. Call and she stared at each other in melancholy amazement. It was the first time they had met since the memorable scene on the rocks many months ago, for Call's entire time had been devoted to the Meliers, and Bridget had persistently kept out of his way, striving, by charity to others, to quench the fire of angry despair in her heart. Call would scarcely have recognized her in her present death-like guise, had it not been for the still-living glory of her hair. The sight of Call's great frame, once so stalwart and erect, now stooping and attenuated, his lusterless eyes and blue-cold lips, struck horror into Bridget's heart. 
She uttered a faint, sharp cry and disappeared. Call scarcely noticed her. His thoughts were so filled with another, and a little further on he met Moya coming to meet him, walking with a slow, uneven step that told of the whirling of the exhausted brain. Half blind with weakness, she stretched her hands before her as she walked. "'The hungry death is on my mother at last. Oh, Cole, come in and see her the last o'er her.' "'Wished, McCree. Look at the beautiful taste of mail I'm bringing her. Hard work I had to carry it from the beach, for the eyes of the creatures is like wolves' eyes, and I thought the longin' of them would have dragged it out of my hands. And Moya, there's help coming from God to us. There's kind people out in the world that's thinking o' our need. The man that has just landed with a sack and give me this says there's a hooker full of mail on its road to us this day. May the great Lord send us weather to bring it here. I'm feared. I'm feared it's too late for her, sobbed Moya, clinging to him. They entered the cabin where the woman lay, a mere skeleton covered with skin, with the life still flickering in her glassy eyes. Call put a little of the mill, as it was, between her lips, while Moya hastened to cook the rest on a fire made of the dry roots of heather. The mother turned loving looks from one to the other, tried to swallow a little of the food to please them, gasped, shuddered a little, and was dead. It was a long, hard task for Call and Moya to bury her, and when this was done they sat on the heather, clasping each other's wasted hands. The sky was dark, the storm was coming on again. As night approached, a tempest was let loose upon the island, and many famishing hearts that had throbbed with a little hope at the news of the relief that was on its way to them now groaned, sickened, and broke in despair. Louder howled the wind, and the sea raged around the dangerous rocks towards which no vessel could dare to approach. It was the doing of the Most High, said the perishing creatures. His scourge was in his hand. Might his ever-blessed will be done. That evening Moya became delirious, and Call watched all night by her side. At morning light he fled out and went round the village, crying out desperately to God and man to send him a morsel of food to save the life of his young love. The suffering neighbors turned pitying eyes upon him. "'I'm feared it's all over with her when she can't taste the seaweed any more,' said one. "'Why don't you go to Bridget Lavelle?' said another. She hasn't much left, poor girl, but maybe she'd have a mouthful for you. Till this moment Call had felt that he could not go begging of Bridget, but now that Moya's precious life was slipping rapidly out of his hands, he would suffer the deepest humiliation she could heap upon him, if only she would give him so much food as would keep breath in Moya's body, till such time as by heaven's mercy the storm might abate, and the hooker with the relief mill arrive. Bridget was alone in her house. A little porridge for some poor creature simmered on a scanty fire, and the girl stood in the middle of the floor, her hands wrung together above her head, and her brain distracted with the remembrance of Call, as she had seen him stricken by the scourge. All these months she had told her jealous heart that the Meliers were safe enough, since they had Call to take care of them. So long as there was a fish in the sea, he would not let them starve neither need be in any danger himself, and so she had never asked a question about him or them. 
Now the horror of his altered face haunted her. She had walked through the direst scenes with courageous calm, but this one unexpected sight of woe had maddened her. A knock came to the door, which at first she could not hear for the howling of the wind, but when she heard and opened, there was Call standing before her. "'Meal,' he said faintly, "'a little meal for the love of Christ. Moya is dying.' A spasm of anguish and tenderness had crossed Bridget's face at the first words, but at the mention of Moya her face darkened. "'Why should I give to you or Moya?' she said coldly. "'There's them that needs the help as much as ye.' "'But not more,' pleaded Cole. "'Oh, Bridget, I'm not asking for myself. I fear I vexed ye, though I did not mean it. But Moya never did any one harm.' Will you give me a morsel to save her from the hungry death? I said I never would forgive either of ye, and I never will, said Bridget slowly. Ye broke my heart, and why wouldn't I break yours? Bridget, perhaps neither you nor me has much longer to live. Will ye go before your judge with such black words on your lips? That's my affair, she answered in the same hard voice, and then, suddenly turning from him, shut the door in his face. She stood listening within, expecting to hear him returning to implore her. But no further sound was heard, and when she found he was gone, she dropped upon the floor with a shriek, and rocked herself in a frenzy of remorse for her wickedness. "'But I cannot help everyone,' she moaned. "'I'm starving myself, and there's nothing but a handful of mail at the bottom of the bag.' After a while she got up and carried the mess of porridge to the house for which she had intended it, and all that day she went about, doing what charity she could, and not tasting anything herself. Returning she lay down on the heather, overcome with weakness, fell asleep, and had a terrible dream. She saw herself dead and judged, a black-winged angel put the mark of Cain on her forehead, and at that same moment Col and Moya went, glorified and happy hand in hand, into heaven before her eyes. "'Depart from me, you accursed!' thundered in her ears, and she started wide awake to hear the winds and waves roaring unabated round her head. Wet and shivering, she struggled to regain her feet, and stood irresolute where to go. Dreading to return to her desolate home, she mechanically set her face towards the little church on the cliffs above the beach. On her way to it she passed prostrate forms, dying or dead, on the heather, on the roadside, and against the cabin walls. A few weakly creatures, digging graves, begged from her as she went past, but she took no notice of anything, living or dead, making straight for the church. No one was there, and the storm howled, dismally, through the empty barn-like building. Four bare whitewashed walls, and a rude wooden altar with a painted tabernacle and cross. This was the church. On one long wall was hung a large crucifix, a white thorn-crowned figure upon stakes of black painted wood, which had been placed there in memory of a mission lately preached on the island, and on this Bridget's burning eyes fixed themselves with an agony of meaning. Slowly approaching it, she knelt and stretched out her arms, uttering no prayer, but swaying herself monotonously to and fro. After a while the frenzied pain of remorse was dulled by physical exhaustion, and a stupor was stealing over her senses, 
when a step entering the church startled her back to consciousness. Looking round, she saw that the priest of the island had come in, and was wearily dragging himself towards the altar. Father John was suffering and dying with his people. He had just now returned from a round of visits among the sick, during which he had sped some departing soul on their journey, and given the last consolation of religion to the dying. His own gaunt face and form bore witness to the unselfishness which had made all his little worldly goods the common property of the famishing. Before he had reached the rails of the altar, Bridget had thrown herself on her face at his feet. "'Save me, father! Save me!' she wailed. "'The sin of murder is on my soul!' "'Nonsense, child! No such thing! It is too much that you have been doing, my poor Bridget. I fear the fever has crazed your brain.' "'Listen to me, father. Moya is dying, and there is still a couple of handfuls of mail in the bag. Call came and asked me for her.' and I hated her because he left me, and I would not give it to him, and maybe she is dead. "'You refused her because you hated her?' said the priest. "'God help you, my poor Bridget. Tis true you can't save every life, but you must try and save this one.' Bridget glanced at him, brightly at first, as if an angel had spoken, and then the dark shadow fell again into her eyes. The priest saw it. "'Look there, my poor soul.' he said, extending a thin hand towards the figure on the cross. Did he forgive his enemies? Or did he not? Bridget turned her fascinated gaze to the crucifix, fixed them on the thorn-crowned face, and, uttering a wild cry, got up and tottered out of the church. Spurred by terror, lest her amend should come too late, and Moya be dead before she could reach her, she toiled across the heather once more, over the dreary bogs and through the howling storm. Dews of suffering and exhaustion were on her brow as she carefully emptied all the meal that was left of her store into a vessel, and stood for a moment looking at it in her hand. "'There isn't enough for all of us,' she said, "'and some of us be to die. It was always her or me. Her or me. And now it'll be me.' May Christ receive me, Moya, as I forgive you. And then she kissed the vessel and put it under her cloak. Leaving the house, she was careless to close the door behind her, feeling certain that she would never cross the threshold again, and, straining all her remaining strength to the task, she urged her lagging feet by the shortest way to the middle quarter village. Dire were the sights she had to pass upon her way. Many a skeleton hand was outstretched for the food she carried, but Bridget was now deaf and blind to all appeals. She saw only Call's accusing face and Moya's glazing eyes staring terribly at her out of the rain-clouds. Reaching the Melier's cabin, she found the door fastened against the storm. Call was kneeling in despair by Moya when a knocking at the door aroused him. The poor fellow had prayed so passionately and was in so exalted a state that he almost expected to see an angel of light upon the threshold, bringing the food he had so urgently asked for. The priest had been there, and was gone, and the neighbors were sunk in their own misery. Why should anyone come knocking like that, unless it were an angel bringing help? Trembling, he opened the door, and there was Bridget, or her ghost. "'Am I in time?' gasped she, as she put the vessel of food in his hand. "'Aye,' said Call, seizing it. 
In his transport of delight he would have gone on his knees and kissed her feet, but before he could speak she was gone. Whither should she go now, was Bridget's thought. No use returning to the desolate and lonesome home, where neither food nor fire was any longer to be found. She dreaded dying on her own hearthstone alone, and faint as she was she knew what was now before her. Gaining the path to the beach, she made a last pull on her energies to reach the whitewashed walls, above which her fading eyes just barely discerned the cross. The only face she now wanted to look upon was that thorn-crowned face which was waiting for her in the loneliness of the empty and wind-swept church. Falling, fainting, dragging herself on again, she crept within the shelter of the walls. A little more effort, and she would be at his feet. The struggle was made, blindly, slowly, desperately, with a last rally of all the passion of a most impassioned nature, and at last she lay her length on the earthen floor beneath the cross. Darkness, silence, peace settled down upon her. The storm raved around, the night came on, and when the morning broke, Bridget was dead. Mildly and serenely that day had dawned, a pitiful sky looked down on the calamities of Boffin, and the vessel with the relief mill sailed into the harbor. For many even then alive the food came all too late, but to numbers it brought assagement and salvation. The charity of the world was at work, and though much had yet to be suffered, yet the hungry death had been mercifully stayed. Thanks to the timely help, Moya lived for better times, and when her health was somewhat restored, she emigrated with call to America. Every night in their distant backwoods hut they pray together for the soul of Bridget Lavelle, who, when in this world, had loved one of them too well, and died to save the life of the other. End of Section 8